Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast. It's July 3rd, and I'm Kimberly Johnson, broadcasting from Washington, D.C. And today, I'm finally going to talk with a feminist next door. Um, she's been on before, and we've had some problems with uh, whether it was technical issues and scheduling conflicts. We, we definitely have had a difficult time making this show happen, but today it's happening, and I'm so glad. Um, before we get started, though, I want to make an announcement, and I'm really excited to announce this because, for me, it's big news. Uh, next week, I'm going to be interviewing actor Vincent D'Onofrio. He's going to be my guest. Um, he played Detective Gorin on Law & Order, Criminal Intent, and he was in such films as Full Metal Jacket, Men in Black, The Player, and Mystic Pizza. He just directed and acted in the new film The Kid, starring Ethan Hawke and Chris Pratt. Now, I'm going to be doing an interview with him on Monday, and then Steph and I are going to be doing our regular Start Me Up on uh, Wednesday. But with with Vincent D'Onofrio, it's going to be a little different because I'm going to focus primarily on his creative career, his acting, his craft, his choices. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about politics, but mostly we're just going to talk about his career and, and, and the choices that he's made. Um, and I, I'm want to be cautious because of course, you know, he's an actor and he's got a busy schedule and right now he's filming a movie. So right now, uh, it's, we're supposed to be talking on July 8th and I'm hoping that that, that that's locked down. But, um, just in case I'm just going to give it, you know, the just in case we may have to do it later in the month if something comes up with his filming schedule. But for right now we are set for the eighth and I'm really excited about that. Um, also, 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 Start Me Up is supported by listeners, and so we rely on patrons to keep us going. I hope that you'll consider supporting the show with any dollar amount. Um, you just visit patreon.com slash startmeup and you can become a patron. Normally, we do end another thing, which is where my partner Steph Walton and I talk some shit about some shit. Uh, actually, we talk about all kinds of things uh, and, and another thing, which is a segment we do after the free show, which we have for every month. We, we talk about sex, we talk about politics, we talk about personal stuff that we wouldn't necessarily talk about on the free show. Occasionally I do those shows myself, occasionally I have a guest on, but today we're not going to be doing one because it is basically, you know, coming up on the holiday, I got stuff to do, and um, so we're just going to bypass it this week, and we're also going to have two shows next week. So, um, but I do hope you'll consider signing up. $5 gets you into another thing. If you if you become a patron today, you can listen to all the end another things that we've done since the beginning of time. Anyway, so... Um, that's pretty much it. And again, I am so excited because today we're finally, finally, finally going to talk to M, who goes by Feminist Next Door on Twitter. And so without any further ado, let's talk to M. Welcome, M. Hi. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, Good my God. Yeah, I mean, finally. It's just, just taken a while. And as I explained to you off air... Um, the experience that we had with the technical difficulties and all that led to our new production. And I'm so grateful because now I can talk to people on the phone, which just makes it so much easier. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of partly responsible for all of the new, um, the wonderfulness, although I'm still kind of like working out kinks, but in the, in the long run, it's much better than the old system. So, so thank you. Well, you're welcome. As I said, <laughs> being a, being a problem catalyst is sort of my thing. <laughs> Well, I've got a lot of things that I want to talk to you about today, but um, I kind of want to start, I mean, I definitely want to talk about um, 
the candidates and, and all of that, especially the women candidates, and find out who, I think I know who your favorite one is, but it could have changed. Um, but before we get into that, I, I want to ask you a few questions because I'm sure people who follow you on Twitter want to know these same things. And so I guess the first one I have, and I don't remember if I asked you this before, but what motivated you to start your incredibly popular Twitter account? Um, I actually uh, started it with no motivation. Um, I started using Twitter um, in 2009 just briefly, just to sort of check it out as a service. And then I came back um, a little bit before the election after a really good friend of mine, Chris Jackson, recommended that I get off Facebook and get <laughs> off Twitter. Um, and uh, I was really just kind of following people and I would just add in my takes you know, my opinions on things. I never, ever expected that anyone would be interested in what I had to say. So <laughs> it just sort of grew organically. And I feel really grateful that that people have been responsive. So. Wow. Well, I mean, obviously, you're um, you just have this way of reducing any topic into the most succinct, uh, most succinct possible way. And you like you cut to the heart of it. And your message is really clear. So now, I mean, you know, you just, like I said, you just take it and you, you make it kind of easy to understand and you get rid of all the BS, which is something that I work on all the time. Um, now that you've established yourself as a very prominent feminist on Twitter, do you have a goal? Um, well, I think I definitely would like to do some more writing that's, you know, in duration of longer than 280 characters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I'm kind of thinking about what I would like to write about, um, like what is most meaningful to me. And I have, you know, a few things that I'm considering. Um, you know, I like Twitter because it's interactive and I like mm -hmm. the opportunity to be able to talk to people. And, you know, most of the time. anyway. <laughs> uh, and um, so I do like it as a medium for activism and for sharing, especially sharing ideas like feminism, because you know, you can kind of like walk someone through understanding something or you know, talking it through, helping mm -hmm. them kind of get their head around it. So I think there's something special about Twitter as a medium for that. But um, definitely want to do some more writing. I have some really awesome mentors, yourself included. Oh, and um, I, you know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes from there. Well, I mean, I envy the fact that you're starting this at, at 31. I'm going to be 51 this month, and I kind of came to all of this in my early 40s. So I've been, um, you know, just kind of finding my way through all of it. And I was just wanting to, to, I don't know, bring this up because like when I when I was a young person, I'm generation Generation X, and so, you know, I kind of I my my mother was a feminist, and she was one of the second you know, part of the second wave. And she truly was because she separated from my father when I was three. She, she was a single mother. She took care of business. And I've written about this. I've, you know, in, in my books and in, in my, on my Patreon blog where, you know, like, I mean, if we had, um, a leaky sink, it, yeah, she might call the plumber, but she oftentimes just took care of it herself. And she showed me that, you know, women, didn't have to rely on anybody in order to get along in the world. And so I was kind of under the impression after the second wave that, 
not that we were all fully equal. Obviously, I knew sexism mm-hmm. existed and I experienced it, but I kind of thought we were like, all right, we're ra- wrapping it up. We're just going to keep seeing more and more equality and it's just going to keep getting better. And I mean, it wasn't even a thought. I mean, I, I've always been a feminist, but I haven't always thought about feminism. I've just yeah. kind of lived and, you know, thought this and that. And 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 I, I just mm-hmm. figured that we were going to um, keep going in the equality direction and then obviously that that seems reasonable right (laughs) yeah I mean and and I mean I saw women you know like in the 80s putting on their tennis shoes and you know getting off of their uh uh, you know high-paying jobs on Wall Street and and um you know walking briskly to whatever you know however they're going to get home whether it was a subway or car and I don't know I just you know you look at these women and you've got Oprah Winfrey and you've got Ellen and you've got television shows that promote independent strong women and so you know I didn't realize we didn't have an equal rights amendment I didn't realize so much I you know I just Mm -hmm. didn't and then I took things for granted as far as the word slut or um, you know, like I watched the movie when I was probably in my early 20s, The Accused with Jodie Foster. I don't know if you've ever seen that, mm-hmm. but she was raped and gang raped. And basically that movie taught me that if you're raped and you want to report it, you're probably going to be called a slut and no one's going to believe you. And so right. I did know that. I mean, I was. I was yes, exactly. I was fully aware <laughs> Of all of that, yet I was still kind of under the impression that we were heading towards a more equal world. So I'm wondering about you because you're 31, and when what was it like for you growing up? I mean, was was there um, like when did you become aware of the patriarchy? Was it something that you always knew? Was it something that you took for granted as far as equality? I mean, how was it for you? What was your experience growing up? Um, well, I mean, I think my experience was actually a lot like yours in terms of, you know, the way that I saw the world in the progress that we had made. I mean, my mother was was and is an extremely strong woman, you know, very successful, very bright um, and had an excellent partner in my dad, who is very supportive of me and my brother and my mom. Um, and so you know, we were, we were sort of a tight knit family. We had, we had dad, mom, me, my brother, my sisters. Um, everybody was treated the same. Each of us had different levels of success in different areas and were encouraged in the same ways. Um, you know, and so for me, I felt like, well, no one is telling me I can't do anything. And it seems like everyone around me is able to do the same things that men are able to do. And, um, you know, sure, these guys, you know, make jokes that are inappropriate or sure, my boss at the rib house definitely, you know, grabbed me and sexually harassed me the entire way through high school when I was like 15, 16 years old. But like, that's not like, institutional sexism like that's just how guys are right 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 so um I think that there's like a disconnect between what people think about as equality and what institutional equity means right so it's like you know you mentioned okay I see these women and they're coming home from their high-paying jobs and they've got their tennis shoes on and they're they're, you know, jogging to the train or whatever. But the reality is like they're jogging to the train because they have a second job yes. that they're expected to get to. Yes. Right. So it's like there's there's 
a picture of, of what we think equality looks like. And I think the easiest way for most people to conceive of it is legal equality. It's something you can see on paper and understand in a codified way. Mm-hmm. But the reality is like real equity means, you know, life experiences that are equitable, you know, cha- challenges and limitations and privileges um, that are equitable. And so, you know, we may not experience life in the same way as men do, but we shouldn't experience life worse off. Right. And um, I think that's where you start to see that pushback that you mentioned. So it's like, okay, we see, it seems like everything was going fine. You know, everyone was kind of cool with Murphy Brown. (laughs) You know, everybody seemed fine with, with mom, you know, taking the baby into the board meeting and like whatever commercial of which there were dozens and that like never happened. (laughs) But, um, but, um, you know, so, so it seems like everything's fine, right? Like dad's not, telling mom she can't be a professional working woman and you know he seems like he's pretty nice to her and everything's fine but I think you start to see the shift when equity actually starts happening and by that I mean things like men being held accountable in the same ways that women are Mm -hmm. women having the same opportunities from the jump that men are um, men being told like, you can't do that anymore. You're not entitled to this. You have to, you know, you have to ask, you need consent. You mm-hmm. need, you can't just expect that you will receive this, whether it's a body or an opportunity or a listening ear. Um, you know, I think once that started to change on a, on a fundamental level, it feels like, why are you being so mean to me? <laughs> this is the yeah. order of things. <laughs> like, this is not how this goes. Like, you say a thing, and then I tell you how you could have said it better. That's how this <laughs> works. <laughs> like, why are you so mad all the time? Um, you know, I'm not one of the bad guys, right? It's those other guys. So it's it's like... Not all um, men. Hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag not all men. So I, I think... Um, that's where you started to see the pushback because, you know, that there's, you know, uh, often said to, to probably to the point of overused phrase, you know, for, for the privileged equality feels like oppression. Right. But it is a very apt phrase because anytime that your whole, and, and in some ways, like as a white person, I can empathize with this, right? It's like if your whole perspective is like, this is the baseline for me, like this is what I can expect from life. And then life starts getting harder or other people start getting things that are different from your baseline and you can't understand why, um, you know, that that registers as a fundamental change for you. Now, the second step to that is understanding why, which Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, a lot of people can't seem to get past that (laughs) stuff. Um, But I think that, you know, it's fair to say that there have been important changes. And I think those changes can be frustrating for men like, for instance, Joe Biden, who can't seem to not put his foot in his mouth or his hand on someone else. But, you know, it's, it's like, what, why is there such a resistance to accepting changes that are so easy to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the part that even I still struggle with is, you know, 
it's one thing to say like, this makes me uncomfortable or I don't want to be yelled at for something I didn't realize I was doing wrong or I don't understand what you're asking me to do. Like those are all fair things, Mm -hmm. at least initially, but I don't understand the obvious things, you know, like, Hey guys, like stop raping us. Right. (laughs) Like care that care that three women are being murdered a day by their husbands. Like why, why is it, pushing feminism in your face to ask you <laughs> to worry about these things. Um, yeah. Those are the things I don't understand. There's a, a lack of empathy there that um, I think is probably one of the largest challenges that we still need to overcome. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely it's, it's a certain, I mean, and I don't, and I'm with you. I kind of don't understand how everybody's just not on board with the idea mm-hmm. that uh, women shouldn't be raped. Uh, I mean, right. they, they are on board, actually. They, they will tell you, sure, women shouldn't be raped, but then they don't really make the effort in any way. I mean, there are Democratic men who are going to vote for Democrats, and um, that's pretty much what they're going to do. So they're going to, you know, and, and, and I'm happy that there are people who are voting for the Democrats because although Democrats aren't perfect, we have a better shot of getting a more... Um, Uh, diverse group of whether it's legislators or judges or anything like that, which is extremely important because of this article that I want to talk about in a minute in the New York times about that kid uh, who raped another, who raped a a teenage girl and Uh the judge of course thought, Oh, well we don't want to ruin his life. But I mean, so if we have judges that are, you know, whether they're people of color, women, women of color um, making decisions on things like that, you're not going to hear, you know, Oh, well, the poor, the poor rich boy, the poor, right. ri- the poor rich rapist's life is going to be ruined because he raped somebody. And so, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I, 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 I also struggle with because why, you know, for instance, I think it was in like 2013, I posted an article and I think I said something like everybody has to read this or every man has to, whatever I wrote. And there was this gentleman on my Facebook page who I enjoyed. He was very friendly. And this was when Romney was running for president. And he would always post something funny about Romney. And, you know, as soon as he woke up, there was just some silly thing that he posted. And when I said, you know, everybody needs to read this, and it was an article about rape, he got so defensive and angry with me. And he basically shouted at me via Facebook and said something along the lines, if my wife or daughter were to ever be raped, you can just bet that guy would have to face, you know, my rights. Like <laughs> something that, like he'd kill the rapist. Well, first of all, uh, h- how do you know you'd even find the fucking rapist? How do you, you know, are you really going to kill the rapist? It, it, it's like I hate yeah. when when I see men argue like oh that's not going to happen to the woman i love because i'm going to go kill that person it's the fuck it that's bullshit so i don't get why um they would be resistant but there is a resistance because they don't want to be lectured on it they feel like when we're like you said it's like putting it in their face like we're lecturing them but but when women are constantly getting raped and especially when white men are the rapists and white Uh men who are in power protect those white rapists. Um, yeah, we're going to shove it in your face because yeah, we mean, want you to like stand up with us. Exactly. I mean, I think for a lot of a lot of men, for a lot of people who are faced with, you know, accepting some level of accountability for something that is really atrocious, there's a fundamental difference between saying I know that rape is wrong and therefore I would 
violently assault someone who violently assaulted someone. <laughs> and, um, and saying, um, I know that rape is wrong and that men rape at 98% of perpetrators and I am a man. Right. So, you know, there's something about the need to distance yourself from this thing. Right. To, to a point that like you are not a part of it at all. Like you are a violent bystander. To this thing. <laughs> and um, the problem with violent bystanders is they're super unhelpful. Mm-hmm, right. Um, because like they don't stop you from getting raped. No. So um, that's, I think what we keep trying to explain to men is like, look, I appreciate your outrage. I do. But I wish that, you would take some of that like baseball bat wielding energy and put it toward, um, you know, mentoring your sons and brothers and friends around you so that when the precursors to this behavior, you know, the cultural norms, the ways that men interact with one another Mm -hmm. that accept a culture of sexual exploitation and violence and oppression against women, you know, to address those things first, Because, you know, like leading into that story that you talked about, I think one of the things that struck me the most about it that was just like, I mean, this always always sort of got me. Um, But I think when I'm reading the story about this kid, you know, it's like this pompous little dick with a bunch of money and Mm he ends up raping this classmate of his at a party and taping it on his or ta- I say taping I mean, he <laughs> takes a video on his cell phone um, and he texts it to his friends with the caption when your first time is rape mm-hmm. so it's like he's basically hashtagging it yeah right and like what that tells me is like not only is this person interested in being a rapist and enjoying, you know, the, the control and humiliation and, and, um, sadistic nature of being a rapist, but it's a show, right? Like it's funny. It's a joke. Right. And it's so funny that he felt like other people would think it was funny. Yeah. And maybe they did. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure his male friends who, you know, have the same kinds of thoughts he does and, and, and thinks about women. And so I'm sure they thought it was funny and I'm sure right. they, they and, saw it as a green light to do it. Out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you don't just assume that people are totally fine with your rape video. <laughs> like you don't assume that like right. you've had probably there's a reason of interactions that led you. If you're that boy to believe that this would be funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. And that's where it starts. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it goes into the it goes in like you were saying, I mean, when men are having conversations with the men that they're surrounded by uh, with and and a rape joke comes up or if or, you know, I mean, I've told this story before and I don't remember if I told it to you, but there was a, a, a situation where I was with two fathers and I was talking, I think it was the Steubenville rape that was happening at the time. And the two fathers had daughters. And so I was saying something about the rape and it was just the two the three of us all sitting around a table and both of those fathers were kind of visibly uncomfortable with the subject and that that of course I brought up and they made a joke and I was so pissed this was I don't know was I don't remember the Steubenville rape it could have been 2013 but I didn't say anything 
I didn't scold them. I, I, I didn't try to, um, you know, say what I think I should have said because I was shocked. They didn't mm-hmm. make a joke like they were ha 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 ha. It was an uncomfortable joke. And then I realized right. later as I was driving home, I thought, you know what? They just didn't know how to deal with it. They, mm-hmm. they were so, I mean, they have two, they, they, one of them had two daughters. The other had one daughter. And I, and I know that they would never want anything like, and that's what I said. I said, can you imagine if this was your daughter? And, and so I think they were so uncomfortable by that idea that I, you know, threw at them that they needed to find a way to lighten up the conversation because we were just in a social, you know, it was a very social visit. And so I brought up this horrendous topic and they just couldn't deal with it. So what they did was they went to a joke and, you know, um, at first I was offended, but then I kind of realized where it was coming from. And it's not to say that I excuse that behavior because that behavior is part of the problem, but I think that that's where it stems from. I think that men often feel um, so uncomfortable with this topic that they don't know how to handle it. And so rather than dealing with it head on, and I mean, I, sometimes I think in, in terms of Americans as a big, huge dysfunctional family who doesn't ever want to address what's in front of our face. My mom raised me to be um, aware of what's going on, confront what's going on, move past it, and not to hold grudges. I don't see that happening with the majority of Americans. A lot of people like to pretend things aren't there, um, Uh you know, and and not talk about the important things, talk circles around it, talk, Uh you know, avoid it at all costs and and hopefully it'll go away and it never fucking goes away. And so um, I think that when it comes to speaking to other men, it's uncomfortable, but you got to push through it. You know, you've just and and also I just want to add that I've seen Republicans say things like, oh, my God, of course we teach our sons not to rape. Oh, my God. They say that every time. I know. And it's everyone knows that rape is wrong. Right. But it's not by just looking at your kid and saying, "Okay, don't rape. You have to explain consent. You have Mm -hmm. to explain if somebody says, no, I don't want to be touched there. uh, You don't touch them. You -hmm. know, you have to explain that if you're having sex when you're old enough to have sex, that even if you're in the middle of it, and one of you mm-hmm. says, I don't want to do this anymore. You have to stop. Right. And I mean, these are just, these are the kinds of things you have to teach your kids, not simply just don't rape. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think it's sort of like, um, there are so many dynamics that, that go into consent that, you know, it's sort of a double-edged sword because there are a lot of important nuances when it comes to consent, but like none of them are hard. So. Right. It's, it's like the, people will say, well, you're making this so complicated. Like, I'm going to need I'm going to need a contract before I can fuck somebody or <laughs> with somebody. And uh, and it's like, OK, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, if you've ever interacted with another human being, like, on, <laughs> you know, just face to face, like you can tell if they don't if they're recoiling from you. Right. Um, so it's like there's there's um, I think a lot of willful obtusion going on there um but there's also like this element of you know i think one of the only you know semi-persuasive arguments and and i say persuasive in the sense that like i can say okay i understand that and now you're gonna have to get over that Mm -hmm. um is that there is you know a, a very long standing tradition of media and culture encouraging men to pursue 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 mm-hmm. and women to withdraw 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 mm-hmm. um 
And so I think, you know, that's a reality. Um, I've certainly, I was certainly taught that, um, you know, I see it. I, now that I am cognizant of it, I see it everywhere. I see yeah. it in movies. I see it in commercials, Me TV too. shows. And, um, so I am aware that there is this, you know, cultural norm of, you know, that men need to, um, pursue and women need to play coy. Um, I think it's a little bit silly, <laughs> but that being said, um, it is something that a lot of people, subscribe to but it kind of for me stops being reasonable at okay like now she's she's said stop it and like you might be annoyed that you know allegedly she's excellent at being coy (laughs) but like you're just gonna have to cope right because like there there is not a point where like you continuing to press this issue is appropriate Mm -hmm. and you know by the way, like women have agency too. So like this response of, well, what if she really does want me to kiss her? And she's just saying, no, cause she thinks that's what she should do. Mm-hmm. Well then she should just learn not to do that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, we're capable of learning. We do things. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like if she wants you to kiss her and she, and she wants to make it happen, like she's capable of doing that. She doesn't need you to guess. That yeah. that's what she wants. Exactly. And if if that's what she needed from you and she didn't act on it, then now she's learned that next time she might handle it differently. But like that outcome is a lot better than her not wanting you to kiss her and you continuing to do so anyway because you're convinced that she wants you. Right. Right. Um, exactly. So it's like, you know, can we can we kind of just take a step back here? Like, I know you're really worried that she secretly wants you. <laughs> But, like, maybe just stop for a second and think about what the consequences are here. Right. Like, one outcome is that you both miss out on what is probably a mediocre kiss (laughs) that you can totally redo in the future. The other outcome is you rape her by accident, quote unquote. Right. Like, if I'm a guy, I'm like, I don't want to rape on accident. Like, pass. Yeah. So I, I don't understand why that's uh, like who who is like, nah, I think I do want to rape on. I think I'm cool. I <laughs> well, think I'm it, it is that, you know, obviously there's going to be a certain number of men who want to feel that control, who don't want to give up their uh, place in the patriarchy. And it's not even to say that they're so ne- necessarily aware of it and they're thinking of it all the time, but they have an advantage. They have that privilege and they don't want to give that privilege up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, thinking back to when I was a young, younger girl and I was in the dating pool and all of that, I absolutely wanted to be pursued. And it wasn't that I wanted to be coy. It was because I felt like in my experience with men, um, you know, and just, just before I even go any further, I had a boyfriend when I was ni- when I was 18. We were together for nine months. He cheated on me twice. And then I didn't have a committed boyfriend until I was 47. I dated and I went out with guys, but I never was in a committed relationship. And the reasons varied. Sometimes it was because I liked them and they didn't like me or vice versa. Or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were just times that I didn't meet anyone that I liked or, you know, so there were a number of reasons. And I think the biggest thing was that I didn't settle. But what I wanted was to be convinced that that person liked me. I didn't want to be forced And um, I think that I was able to give those cues. And fortunately, I wasn't with anybody who was abusive or tried to force themselves on me. Um, But I think that I was able to give them those cues where I could still 
get con- they, it's like they understood they needed to convince me. Um, some of them really didn't want to, but the ones that did, they, you know, they took the cue of like, all right, well, I'm going to convince her, but it's not going to be because I'm forcing my tongue down her throat or whatever. It was just kind of like this unspoken. And I mean, how do you teach that? You don't necessarily teach that, but I would say that anybody, hmm, go ahead. You can teach that because I think the difference in what you're describing is like, if someone understands that you're asking them to convince you, what you're saying is, this is not a guarantee, mm-hmm. right? Like just by virtue of my existing in the same space as you, you have not earned this. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that you should, you know, that you should have someone jump through, which I'm not suggesting you have, but, you know, jump through hoops right. or some, do unreasonable things. You know, I think a lot of men would suggest that that's what women want, which is even really more indicative of the fact that, well, your baseline for you is I deserve this. Yeah. And if you're making me do anything other than just having this, that's unreasonable. Right. Um, and maybe I'm willing to do a few things like just, you know, for the theater of it all. But mm-hmm. the reality is I thought I deserved this before I did any of those things. Right. Um, and so I think it starts with teaching young boys and men and friends and brothers, you know, that you don't deserve anything because we certainly don't get that benefit. Right. You know, we don't even deserve to not have you feel entitled to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's, a, it's like we, we deserve to have to fight you off. That's the best that we get. Yeah. So how about like, let's just move toward the center on both sides here. Like you put in a little effort. I, you know, I don't get raped. Like this feels like a reasonable (laughs) agreement. Right. And obviously we're speaking in, in certain kinds of general terms, you know, in my experience, I never, and I think I'm rare, but I think I've never experienced anybody who wanted to be violent with me or, or push me into any sexual. I mean, certainly there were a few times where I decided to have sex. There was a stupid, I was very stupid when I was like 20, I think I was 21 and I met this guy at a party and he was very cute. He's Italian and we hit it off and I wound up, um, driving him home. And it was very late at night. I think it was around two o'clock in the morning. And I decided to go into his apartment because I felt like I was having a good time. And I really thought that he was cute and we were getting along. And there was like the little voice in back of my head that said, maybe you should go home now. But I was having too much fun. So I went Uh in and then, you know, he started giving me the eye and he wanted to kiss me. And my thought process went like this. I thought, what if I try to leave and he tries to rape me? Um, I'm going to be ruined for the rest of my life. So if I consent to it, then I'm not raped. Yep. And then I don't have to worry. So I consented. And I didn't really want to have sex with him. I mean, I was I, I, I might have wanted to have sex with him at a later date. It's just mm-hmm. that I was not mentally ready or prepared to have sex with him at that point. But it was like and, and, and I don't think that he was a, he wasn't a rapist. Um, he was actually kind of a nice guy. But I didn't know. How do you know? And right. so well, you know, and the, the other thing is like, even if you're like in the situation, first of all, I just want to say, you know, I love you, but I resent the fact that you called yourself stupid for any reason. <laughs> situation. Okay. So it's like, well, you, you, know, you met someone, you had a good time, you gave them a ride home and they, and they asked you to hang out 
for a little bit longer. I mean, to me, those all seem like completely reasonable things. The only reason that we think about them as stupid is because we we have this understanding that, you know, well, men do this stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, I should have known better. Like, that's not really fair. And I think men should be offended by that, frankly. Yeah, but um, I do, too. I think, you know. The, the concern is, like, here's this guy, like, I'm interested in him. I'm having a good time. He's attractive. We're hitting it off. You know, he clearly wants to, to move forward, you know, physically. I'm not really there yet. You know, there is concern, one, always. Like, if I object, is he going to become violent? Mm-hmm. How is he going to react? Um, and is there an escape route? You know, there's mm-hmm. that. But there's also just like, can I just tell this guy I don't want to do this right now and have him not be like, fuck you, bitch. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, that's also part of it. Because you're like, I just want him to like me. Yeah. Right? Like, I just want this guy to think I'm think I'm cool because I think he's cool. And if I don't do this, is he going to be like, uh, well, she sucked and like never call me. Mm-hmm. And like, that's that is absolutely part of, um, you know, a system that teaches women that if, if a man wants something from you, like you should give it to him. If you like him, right. You should give it to him. Why wouldn't you? Right. Because that's the, that's the baseline expectation. The expectation is not like that we each get to decide what we want. The expectation is that he'll tell you what he wants. And and as long as you have no fervent objection, you will give it to him. So if you do object, it's treated as a fervent one and, right. and, and, uh, you will receive reciprocal reaction typically. Right. And there's the um, idea too, that, uh, you were leading them on by being mm-hmm. flirtatious and, and, and giving them the cues that you were interested in them, that that was leading them on to believe that they were going to get something on that particular, you know, day or night, and then they didn't get it. And then they feel as if you fooled them. You've cheated them. You've cheated them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I bought exactly. you all those drinks. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, all those, totally. All yeah, you know. Pineapples right down the drain. I, <laughs> I had this other experience, which I think is kind of ridiculously ironic, but I was, I met this guy at a bar and I was alone at the bar and um, we, we wound up in my car and we, we kissed and then he wanted to have sex with me. And I said, no. And he called me a slut. It's like, okay, <laughs> I'm a slut because I didn't have sex with you. But, um, you know, like, that, yes, naturally. yes. And that's what you're talking about. It's like, aside from worrying about being raped, um, you're worried about being treated like you've, you've been a bad person. And then you, right. like you said, you just want them to like you. And, and I do want to address, I, I, you're right. I shouldn't say I'm stupid, but I do say that I was young and I was, um, immature and I, I I hadn't been in enough of these situations to feel comfortable making a decision that made me feel comfortable so mm. I was looking to make him feel comfortable and that's I think that's why I go to stupid but it is you know it, it isn't stupid it's something that's expected of us um, almost in in culture to like you said these these kinds of men accept or, 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 or I should say they um, expect that mm-hmm. we're going to give them what they want. And then when we right. don't give and them what they want. And why don't we feel like that's stupid? Right. right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, you, don't, you, don't, you don't walk around like expecting people to do shit for you all the time yeah. because you want them to. But for whatever reason, we have that expectation and that interaction. 
And it's only one way. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it is demonstrative that, you know, I certainly have had the exact same feeling that, that you have, where it's like, well, I mean, stupid me, like I Mm should have known, but like, why not stupid him? Right. Right. Like why, why am I the dumb one for like thinking it would be reasonable to just like hang out with someone I'm having a good time with, but he's not the dumb one for assuming that because I gave him a ride home, we're definitely going to have sex. Yeah. You're like, why isn't that the dumb thing? Yeah. And I actually, I wrote about it. Um, I wrote about my experience and I posted it on feminist Facebook pages. And, and this was a couple of years ago. A number of feminists scolded me for, for going into his apartment in the first place. But I guess you can look at that and say, well, then you're basically saying you should expect that he's a rapist. Um, mm-hmm. That you should expect that every man is a rapist and you should never go into their apartment past a certain hour or whatever it is. And, um, and I think we're, we're coming, you know, we're, we're going farther especially with like Me Too and Time's Up and all of this, I think women are finally, you know, Jen Kirkman is a comedian and she did this. Love she, I, she, I love her so much. And uh, my, my boyfriend and I went to go see her earlier this year and, and, and she talked about um, how, at least for Gen X women, you know, we grew up seeing X, like we, she was saying how when she was a little girl, she saw, uh, you know, a guy flash her in the library. And so uh, obviously she's a comic. So, you know, her take was like, oh, okay, you go to the library and you see a penis. That's the way it is. And then mm-hmm. I guess she got flashed in the mall. So, oh, okay. Well, also when you go into a mall, uh, you get flashed. So that's just the way it is. And so we have, we have learned to expect certain behaviors in, mm-hmm. in culture. And, and so we didn't necessarily even feel traumatized by them because we just accepted them as, as well, this is what men do and this is how some men behave boys will be boys right and so um you know but then it led to okay well now we're having this awakening and we're realizing that um we this is not normal and we shouldn't have Mm -hmm. to put up with this and you know i mean one of the people on on twitter wanted to ask a question about how can men be allies so i'm just gonna answer you know that and and say i mean you can add to it but it's what jen kirkman said first of all don't pity us don't say when we explain that we've been through some kind of a terrible experience, we don't want to hear, oh, I'm so sorry for you. I'm so sorry you went through that. Save your pity. We don't want it. All we want is for you to stand up with us and speak out like you were saying to other men when they're behaving inappropriately, whether it's uh-huh. they're saying a rape joke within you know, a group of men or if they're treating a woman inappropriately in a public place. Stand up and speak up. You know, say uh-huh. something because your silence is what's causing it. It's 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 helping it along. And it's it's not even it doesn't even have to be in a sexual context. No. Right? So it's like, you know, if if you've got a friend at work who constantly talks over your female coworkers, be like, hey, bro, she was talking. Like, that's, right. You know, like that that's a thing that happens to me all the all the time. Um. And so that's another way that, that men say like, okay, like what you're saying is either not important to me or I feel less, uh, quality, qualitative, you know, than what I have to say. Yeah. And I need to take up this space, like with my body, with my voice, with my point of view, and I'm going to decide when and to what extent I'm going to do that. And you don't get to have that same choice. So, like, I'm going to talk over you now, 
and I'm just going to keep talking until you stop. Right. Talking. Yeah, I think we like, saw a little bit of that on the debates. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and so it's and it's unco- it's uncomfortable, and I think it's funny to me how often I see these situations in reverse, and they look so weird. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I I remember in the second end of the debate, there was a time when. Um, Kamala Harris and Eric Swalwell were both talking at the same time and they kind of did that like no you stop no you stop like, <laughs> and, and then finally Swalwell was like uh, you need like you know cried uncle and it looked weird even to me like I was like wow that was really forceful and then I, I thought about it and I was like okay no I loved it mm-hmm. but like even for me at first I, I was like um, I don't know if I like that hmm. Um Whereas for the duration of the debate and and all for the night before, the men had been doing that to each other and to women, and it hadn't even really registered for me. Yeah. Um. It, so it there was something about her, uh, her doing it that seemed so fundamentally different. Um. That that she didn't like just wait her turn. Right. Um. And I think people had that that objection to uh, Kristen Gillibrand as well. Yes. So, um, you know, I think it's not to say that, you know, that in that particular instance, I think there was a, uh, you know, there was an, a goal, a realistic endpoint that wasn't just I want to be domineering for, for Kamala's choice to keep talking. But uh, which was, you know, I'm making an important point. There's 22 of us like I got to do what I got to do. <laughs> but, you know, in in regular life, um you see, you know, these interactions happening and you don't think about it. Right. Um, but if you see a woman doing it, it becomes uncomfortable and that's actually okay because it should be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to watch someone talk over someone. Mm -hmm. Like we should just not do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like whether you're a woman talking over a man or like, I think sometimes there's a tendency, um, for folks who are like really trying to be supportive of feminism and like getting their feet wet and they'll say things like the men don't get to have an opinion on this or like just sit down and shut up. And like, I don't necessarily think that's productive. Mm-hmm. Um, Me neither. I think, I think sometimes men should totally sit down and shut up, <laughs> but like, I don't think often, you know, I think having their perspective as long as it is not a, a, a rewriting of something that someone right. has already said or a, an objection to an experience that they don't actually have, you know, like I think those are the times when people say you need to sit down on this topic because you don't understand it. Yeah. Um, not because you are no longer allowed to speak. And I think that's a distinction that's important to make because, you know, saying that women are experiencing these things from men is, is not objecting to the fact that we can't do it back. It's objecting to the fact that it's happening. Right. And um, I think I think that gets lost sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, me too. So, I, I mean. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think in terms, you know, I often hear that from um, on the abortion issue where, uh, first of all, I disagree with the idea that it, it should only be um, women doing the legislating because there are women out there who would be happy to take your uh, right away. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as the men are concerned, as far as abortion in a, in a relationship, you know, frankly, it is it is the choice of the woman to ask whoever she's with 
what he wants. If she doesn't want to ask, she doesn't have to. It's in her body. And Mm -hmm. the man might want the baby, but it's in her body. She's the one who has to take the risk of carrying it to term. Whatever problems could arise, she's the one who has to go through them. She might have to deal with work issues, not getting enough time off, whatever it is. She's the one who's going to have to do most of the work, especially with the pregnancy. Um, Mm -hmm. And if if we're speaking traditionally, then she's going to basically be raising the child too. Um, although obviously more and more fathers are becoming hands-on, but still it's left up to the woman. It's like you were saying back uh, in the beginning of the podcast that those women were running home to a second job and that second job was being mom, making dinner, making sure the dishes were put away or whatever. So um, I think that you're absolutely right. But when it comes to abortion, um, men can argue this all day long. But in Uh the end, a woman, if she wants to have an abortion... She can go do it and she doesn't have to ask for permission. And it doesn't matter if you want it. If you, if the men were the one carrying the children or the fetuses, then they would decide. And it would just be as simple as that. And frankly, I think there would be like an abortion app. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you just like push the little button on the app and then someone comes to your house and gives you your, you know, they'd figure out how to get an abortion done in 30 minutes. There would be like a a plug-in for your phone. Like you just put it in the jack. just like... Some sort of gamma, <laughs> gamma ray situation. Um, you know, I want to ask this one question, but I also want to address something about the, the Hillary debate. But before I do that, um, because we've kind of already answered this, but somebody on Twitter, and I don't know if I'm going to say this name right, Annabelle, I'm not sure, says the responsibility to deal with sexual violence has been misplaced historically and currently on women. While logically as a society, we should teach boys not to be sexually violent. Now, as a father of two daughters, how do you, how do you advise we address sexual violence? So, I mean, in a way we've, we've, talked about this in how to educate children especially boys on uh-huh. on how to um you know understand consent and all that but do you have an answer as far as like having two little girls and how do, how does this father address sexual violence um well i mean i think i think we touched on it a little bit yeah. in terms of you know adult women right and right. i think that that sentiment absolutely extends to children. I think it extends easily and it also is a, a protective lesson for 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 children, you know, from from strangers, from, you know, other children who might harm them, you know, which is just if you don't want to do something um, and someone's making you, you know, and it's it's not mom and or dad or your teacher, um, you know, don't do it. If you don't want someone to touch you, don't let them touch you and tell them to stop. Don't touch someone else if they don't want you to touch them. Don't, um, you know, it, it's it's like treat others as you want to be treated. Right. Like these are these are sort of old and boundaries, yeah. Lessons, but I think um, they do need to be more nuanced when you're talking about things like consent, because treat others how you want to be treated doesn't actually work for consent. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like a lot of people will blow through consent because like they want to fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but it's not about you though. So yeah. I think that's the nuance that, that isn't being addressed. That's right a good now. point. So it, it's like, okay, yes, treat others how you would like to be treated. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean assuming that they, that they want you to do to them 
what you want them to do to you. Right. Well, that kind of actually um, goes to the Joe Biden making people uncomfortable thing. Not that he was mm-hmm. he wasn't being sexually inappropriate and he wasn't, um, you know, sexually harassing them or anything like that. But, you know, I always like to take I like to take the Joe Biden conversation and just move it into the workplace scenario. So yep. if, if there's a person in your workplace who is touching you a lot or hugging you or whatever, I mean, it really could be male or female. Because mm-hmm. there are people out there who are just very, very hands-on and touchy, and they love it. They're happy mm-hmm. if somebody else were to hug them and, and do all that stuff. So therefore, it's not, it's like you were saying, if you say treat others like you want to be treated, well, they're happy to, mm-hmm. to, to be very hands-on and touchy. And there are other people like me who I don't like it. I don't like it from men. I don't like it from women. I'm, I'm not a very touchy-feely person. I am with my boyfriend and my cat, and that's pretty much the end of it. And um, so I think that you have to just assume, like have this blanket assumption that nobody wants to be touched, so just don't touch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then move on from there. If that person wants to be touched, you can ask them. In a workplace situation, though, I don't think it should be like, can I hug you? I don't think you should be asking those questions. I think you should just respect in a work situation that there are certain people who are very uncomfortable with any kind of uh, physicality and you just don't do it. Maybe you can tap them on the shoulder if you have a question, but it's not about an embrace or putting your hand on their arms or legs. And, and again, it's not to say that that's inappropriate in any kind of a sexual way. It just, it might make people uncomfortable. And so just don't do it. And I think the same thing can, the same argument can go to what you were saying as far as sex is concerned. It's like, okay, well, don't assume that the person that you're talking to wants to have sex. You want right. it, but don't make the assumption they do. Right. It's, and, and, and that means, you know, establishing a fundamental expectation every time that you should get enthusiastic and affirmative consent. And mm-hmm. that means from men and women. Yes. Like, you know, I, I think the, the number one reply to, to this is like, well, you know, it's either that's ridiculous, which no pass, <laughs> uh, or, you know, men get raped too. Of course I know that. I think this has to be a two way street. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's actually how it gets easier because right. if you both yeah. are giving consent, like nobody has to feel like, am I the one who asks? Or are you the one who asks? Like, it, it, like we're not getting engaged here. Like we're <laughs> just trying to hook up. Yeah. So it's like, um, I think it's it's about just saying, okay, any time that you're going to engage in some kind of like romantic relationship with somebody physically, like just get the just get an affirmative consent. It doesn't always have to be like are you okay with this? Right. Like, however, if you don't know somebody very well, that's probably the best way to start. Yeah. And then if you know them really well and you have a relationship with them, of course you don't need to ask your wife, is it okay if I touch you? Unless like she's pissed at you and then I recommend (laughs) asking. Yeah. But you know, like you understand whether she wants to be, Yeah, she'll give you the verbal or the um, physical cues if she's into it or not. It's like, you know, there's all of these sort of like very hyperbolic, like non sequiturs that people will raise about why this is so ridiculous. And in my view, it's again, it just goes back to like, but what are the consequences? Mm -hmm. Like to me, it feels ridiculous the other way. Like this is such an easy thing to do. Why on earth would we culturally teach 
that this is ridiculous and not assuming someone wants to have sex and risking harming them. Mm -hmm. Like, why is why have we established that as a norm? And the reality is, is because I think what a lot of people don't want to say is that most people who don't like the idea of affirmative consent and most of those people are men don't want to ask because they don't want to hear no. Yeah. And they are also aware that there are probably times where if they did ask, they would hear no. And that is why they are not asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly it. If I can just blow through this light, it's not right. Mm -hmm. I didn't even see the light. So it's not Mm right. Um, and, and, and and women aren't valued. I think, I think that on the whole women aren't valued. I think that's changing and I think women are changing it just as, you know, women fought for the right to vote and it wasn't something that men gave them. It was something they had to fight for. You did a fucking wonderful tweet on that and I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but it wasn't something that, Oh, can we please have the vote? And men were like, sure, women, we will give you the vote (laughs) now. You know, I mean, right. it was like you didn't this hard fight the right to vote upon us. Yeah, it was a hard fight, and it was black women, and it was white women, and 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 I I know that there there were white women who didn't want the va- the black women to participate, but in the end, all women got the right to vote, and it, it was blood, sweat, and tears, and so it wasn't some easy thing that men just handed us this right. But um, uh, well, I mean, yeah, they were. The men, white men who did have the right to vote took, you know, all kinds of active steps to, you know, not only prevent uh, women from voting, but also prevent alliances between suffragettes, yes. people of color, women of color, white suffragettes, black men, yes. you know, the suffragettes. So, you know, there there was there wasn't just like a general objection to it. Right. <laughs> like there was a full on like active yeah, that, campaign right. yeah. of, of undercutting through various political means um, this movement. So I think, you know, it is a little bit funny to, to have men say like, well, if it weren't for us, you wouldn't have the right. Yeah, to vote. You know. <laughs> I'm like, if it weren't for you, I would not have ever not had it. Right. Um, so like, thanks, but no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, why do you get, why do you get to be the freaking God of, of humanity where you're granting us this? It should, right, it, it's I mean, our birthright. It's like when Trump like breaks something and then fixes it and he's like, look what I fixed. And you're right. like, fucking broke it. <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh God, I hate him. All right. I want to move on. Um, and I want to go back. I want to just focus a little bit before we go on on the um, candidates. But I did want to go back and talk about this. You know, I noticed the the behavior specifically on night two of the Democratic debates that women were absolutely claiming their time. I noticed it on uh-huh. the first night, but um, and I noticed on the first night that men were the ones who were yelling. Women were not. Women uh-huh. were calm and measured and waited their turn. Elizabeth Warren didn't get to talk as much as I would have liked, but uh-huh. she was cool about it. And you know, I saw a couple of the men screaming and yelling. And then the second night, you know, we were talking about, I mean, Kristen Gillibrand, of course, Kristen Gillibrand was accused of being rude and interrupting. But what I saw her doing was claiming her place on that stage because she understands Mm -hmm. what she's up against. And part of that was, and and I said this on a podcast podcast yesterday. So pardon anybody who listened to that podcast, but I'm going to repeat it. 
um, when Hillary was debating Trump and he was stalking her on stage, uh, she has gotten a lot of criticism for not saying anything in that moment. And I'm not one of those people who will criticize her because um, while she should have, I do think she should have. And I know that at this point she looks back and says, yes, I should have said something. But she was in a unique position. She There had never been a woman running for, or, you know, like a woman Democratic mm-hmm. nominee before. She obviously had to deal with decades of GOP smears, Russian, you know, whatever you want to call it, cyber attacks, interference, meddling, disinformation. She was up against her sexism from her own party. She was up against sexism from the media. And she had mm-hmm. to make decisions in a split second or that particular mm-hmm. decision. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? I get criticized for everything I do. So how should I handle yeah. this? Okay, I'm going to be professional and I'm just not going to say anything. So we can we can all backseat drive that moment till we're blue in the face. And and I'm not I, I, yeah, I'm not going to say she made a right or a wrong decision. She made the best decision at that particular time. But now that we have the ability to look back on how she handled it, we can say, all right, it would have been better if she would have turned around and told Trump to back off and give her space. I think maybe women it would have been better. Maybe I mean, she probably would have been criticized. Well, yeah, I think so. I think she would have been cheered and criticized and 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 it would have been something that, you know, everybody would have talked about. And, and but the women who were running for president today, I think, can take a look at what Hillary experienced and say, all right, we're going to change the rules. We are not going to allow the men to bark over us when we're talking. And if they do, we're going to bark right back. And, you know, I mean, when Kamala told everybody that America doesn't want to see a food fight and that they, they want to know how to put food on their tables. That was such a, a, a fantastic moment uh-huh. um, because she was absolutely right. But also just because she took the lead and uh-huh. it was so important. It was so important for everyone to see that, that during uh-huh. these democratic debates where there, there are six women running, in my opinion, there are two viable ones at this point uh-huh. and that could change, but six women and they absolutely claimed their time. So I'm kind of, I'm really happy to see that they could take lessons from Hillary's experience and apply them to this. And, and there's more of them now. It's, it, you know, it was just Hillary. She just had herself. And mm-hmm. now these, all, these women, and I'm so encouraged to see them getting along and behaving. Um, so mm-hmm. they're, they're being so cool with each other. You know what I mean? They're not, cutting each other down. I mean, we may see that later. We, you know, if it comes down to Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, we're going to see some shit come out um, because it has to be the best person for the job. And the goal is to win. Um, As long as they're not nasty, they absolutely have the right to go after the other's record. But all that said, I'm just curious. First of all, I'd like to know, you know, your take on the debates and, and do you have a favorite candidate right now? And and how do you see this playing out? Um, Well, my candidate is Elizabeth Warren. Me too. Um, Although I like Kamala, I, I like Kamala Harris too. But do, right now, I do like Kamala. Warren is my favorite. Um, and I, I will say this: I think that um, Kamala Harris is absolutely excellent. Mm-hmm. I think she's impressive. I found her honestly. I was exhilarated mm-hmm. watching her <laughs> in the debate. Like I was like I, I was inadvertently live tweeting it, <laughs> like because <laughs> it was so exciting to watch her. Yeah. Um, and watching her in the Kavanaugh hearings, watching her mm-hmm. um, with A.G. Barr, you know, like right. she commands a room. She is, you know, bright. She is quick um, and very, you know, she's she is serious in a way that I think in the past women have not 
often gotten away with and she pulls it off beautifully. And I think all of those things make her inspiring and would make her a very good president. I just don't see as much substance from her as I do from Elizabeth Warren right. on the policy side. That's really what distinguishes me too. Exactly me. the same. Um, because I find Elizabeth Warren, Warren also um, excellent in style i think her style for me feels much more like law professor which makes sense that's what she is but Mm -hmm. she reminds me you know of some of my favorite law professors who were always you know necessarily somewhat commanding um but were you know so thrilled to see you getting it yeah right and it's, it's like seeing her explaining these policies to people and helping them understand, you know, ways that we can change things. She she has very much like that teacher vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, like, that just really, that appeals to me. And also, you know, po- uh, policy-wise, she appeals to me. But I, I would be um, absolutely thrilled to smash the vote button for Kamala if she was the nominee. Yeah, I mean, I feel exactly the same way. And I'm, I'm very interested to see how everything, you know, just plays out in the in in the coming months because there's going to be more debates and you know it may go up and down and I I think Kamala's strength is because she's a prosecutor she has uh like you were saying like her the ability to question someone in a way that is but she's a prosecutor so I mean Mm -hmm. that's how she does it and she's savvy she's smart she's not afraid and she's very strong when she speaks now Elizabeth Warren to me has um, even though she has a strength in speaking up she still has that kind of sweet quality even when she's being fierce even you know I mean she Mm -hmm. she can be fierce but she's talking about her aunt B you know what I mean so it's like you know you don't get a sense that there's any kind of mean bone in her body not that I'm saying Kamala has it but I, I think Kamala has an edge that Elizabeth mm-hmm. Warren just doesn't have. Um, and that's not to criticize Warren. It's just differences. You know, I think right. I think each woman has a strength. Like I would like for Kamala Harris to get better on one-on-one interviews because I think sometimes it yeah. seems like she's searching for what she's the next word she's going to use. And I think she needs to work on that. And I, I don't think that has anything to do with what kind of president she would be. I think she would be a fantastic president, but I just, I just think it it all, you know, a lot of it comes down to optics and, um, and with Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's, she's got that high voice and, you know, I mean, it's like, so when you put her up on stage with people who have that, (laughs) (laughs) Bob, Bob, my boyfriend and I will often do the dueling Elizabeth Warrens. Who's like screaming profanity and saying just awful things like first I'm going to make you cookies and then I'm going to cut off your head I mean like we have this it's so funny when we do the dueling Elizabeth Warren's but I mean she is she's kind of like in my opinion she's kind of like um, Jimmy Carter uh, but with a little bit more edge because he was Mm -hmm. I would never say that Jimmy Carter was edgy but I do think I mean I think Kamala is more edgy than um than Elizabeth, but but I think that Elizabeth has that fierceness, and she just won't back down. I, I I think a lot of people, including myself, did not give her credit because when this race first started, I wasn't sure. I've always liked her, but I wasn't sure if she was going to be able to pull it off. And very quickly, she convinced me. It was like, oh my god! And then you know, aside from the um, just that she's so smart and she's got this amazing record, her ability to weave in her family experiences, her personal experiences into explaining her legislation is brilliant. 
She is just absolutely brilliant. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you as far as she's my number one choice. Kamala is so close behind her. Now, what do you think of uh, Castro, Julian Castro? Um, Well, I was actually just just thinking of him as as we were talking about, um, you know, the criticisms that that Hillary got and, you know, what is different this time around. I think one of the main things is performances from people like, I mean, the two that I'm thinking of are Castro and Booker who have stood up and absolutely went to bat for the women in the race Mm -hmm. um, when they are being criticized unfairly. Um, I think it has been really really admirable because I think, first of all, it's, it says this isn't going to be an instance where we're going to rip all, all, all each other to shreds, you know, so mm-hmm. that when we finally get down to the nominee, like everybody hates them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's also saying like, look, this criticism that you're giving here, like I am not getting that criticism and that's not fair. And that's part of, of my platform. Right. Right. Like, that that disallowance of sexist criticism is part of my platform. It's part of what I'm not okay right. with. Yeah. It's, it's it's part of you know a system that I recognize and that I would work to change. I think that is effective for me um, in terms of you know how you know how good they've been. Um, I thought. Castro was great um, in terms of how much he's talked about trans rights. I like, I love to see mm-hmm. that. I think that's an example of a topic that somebody like Hickenlooper is not going to touch. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they, they, they can't get past, they can't get past it. Yeah. Like, I don't think, I don't think that um, anyone who's standing on stage as a potential democratic candidate is, is transphobic or at least, right. You know, yeah. in, in, in a in an active way, you know, they may be misguided, certainly in some mm-hmm. ways. But um, there's a difference between saying, like, I'm totally cool with trans people and being like, I understand the issues that are affecting this community. It is important to me. Mm-hmm. I would like to talk to people about it on a national stage. Yeah, um, because it's the same. You know, I think it shows a lot of bravery and it shows a willingness to say like, it's not about the size of your voting block. It's about what's right. And that's very much an Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. uh, platform as well. So, um, you know, that appeals to me a lot about Castro. Um, and I think Booker is like, honestly, this is horrible for me to say because I, I, I hate this, but he's just likable. <laughs> yeah, he, he's absolutely uh, likable. He's a likable guy. Um, and I, I, you know, I have some policy objections to some of his, um, some of his positions, like on charter schools, uh, for example. But um, I think, in terms of a crowd winner, he'd make a great VP. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do too. I, I think out of the men. Um, the male candidates, as far as VP material, it would be between Castro and Booker. Um, I think that, I think, you know, people talk about Buttigieg. Oh, I wanted to ask you about him because uh, I specifically want to ask you about him for this reason. And I don't know if it's because I'm older or not, but I've, I see younger feminists not liking him or, mm-hmm. or they don't like 
his uh, followers or supporters. Now, the way that I look at him at this point, I do see that he has um, issues with, you know, the black voters are, are not happy with him. And I think they have good reason to want more from him. Um, but what I see in this guy is that he's very smart. He's very young. He's very um, measured and controlled. Like he's not one of the men on the stage who's going to scream. He's, uh-huh. he's going to stay real calm. And I don't have a real severe problem with him. Um, I don't want him to be the president right now. I think down the line, he's, he needs to get more experience. He needs to understand how to respond to human questions in a human way. I, yep. think, that he, I think that he kind of gets it, but I don't think he gets it all the way at this point. And it's not even, I'm not even saying that as, as, as like a, a criticism as much as I just think that he's a little young and that he doesn't fully get the deal yet. Um, and so I'm not, I I would prefer to either see him go into Congress or maybe as a governor and to get a Mm -hmm. little bit, I mean, he's had experience, but, um, I'd like to see him have more experience and, and more than just like government or legislative experience, more experience in the conversation that we're having. Because what I'm seeing is that, uh, the people who are, for the most part, especially the women who are running, have been paying attention to the conversations that we've been having online, and they've been addressing them. And yep. so I, you know, I, I just was curious, like, what is your what is your opinion of Buttigieg? Um, he's like a little bit vanilla for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't have a strong objection. Like, I guess let me put this. I think to the extent that I have objections that are fully formed most of them are petty if i'm being honest mm-hmm. like like i don't i don't there's not something that he said you know I, I think he you know he made some anti-vaxxer comment i know he took it back right away he probably just sort of put his foot in, his mm-hmm. foot his, excuse me his foot in his mouth there um so i don't know that that's really like worth holding against him but um you know there's also i think a little bit of that for me that is disconcerting like why is every answer like so so you know well formed but you still can't answer questions about like women's reproductive rights or like well i will say and i don't have it in front of me he did actually give a fantastic answer answer um on what they call late-term abortions and and the overall was that you know basically the idea of late-term abortion is bs because um it's not done out of a choice. Women who are pregnant seven, eight months have figured out a name for the baby. They're excited. They've got the room ready. They've got a crib. So if there's a late term abortion, it means there's something wrong with the fetus, most likely fatal and Uh that they have to make a, you know, a very difficult decision and it should be with a doctor. And I thought that was a fantastic answer. It was one of the most clear um, and thought out. But I, you know, the other thing that I'll say is he was asked about the Equal Rights Amendment. And he said something like, you know, yeah. It's vintage. You, yeah, he said that that was something that um, was a vintage thing. And, and that, you know, yeah, it might be weird for me. Retro. He said, he said it might be weird yeah. for me because it's retro. And so... Of course, I went, I tweeted to him and I said, it's not retro. It's happening right now. And then I was accused even by my own mom. She, she said, you know, it, what I said sounded like an attack. And okay, people might have seen it like an attack. 
what I wanted to convey was that it's not a retro thing and that it shouldn't be couched in those terms. It should be, it should just be something that's equality and, and it, you know, it got put on hold. And now, you know, in 2017, Nevada ratified the Equal Rights Amendment. And then in Illinois, they did it in 2018. And now we only need one more state and we need mm-hmm. Congress to lift that deadline. So the next time he spoke about the ERA, he had a completely different and refresh- refreshing answer. So I don't mm-hmm. know if he saw my tweet, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that he paid attention. And so I was grateful for that because that's all I ask. You know, I mean, I get that there's going to be a candidate out there who may not give the perfect, you know, uh, woke answer um, when when asked a question. But if they can see and, and I think that's my issue with Joe Biden is that do I think he's a racist? No. Do I think he's this terrible bad guy? No. Do I think he's a sexual predator? Absolutely not. But what I do see is this, this stubborn refusal to let go of things how it, how it used to be. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm a Gen Xer and I realize that millennials have different perspectives than I do. And, you know, there's plenty of baby boomers, including my mother, including many baby boomers. I know one of them listens to this show, Ziggy Blue, who I absolutely adore. Um, he's he like he loves Warren. He gets it. He rolls with the times. He's not trying to stay back to how it, you know, keep it to what it was like in the 90s or whatever when Bill Clinton mm-hmm. was president. Um, it's about rolling. You know, it's like, all right, well, the party was this way in the 90s, but then it changed and it's evolving and it's always going to evolve. And instead of trying to hold it to where it used to be, or even it's not the party, it's just like Joe Biden insisted, I'm listening to you. I hear you about this touching and I get that people don't Uh think it's comfortable. And then the next day he makes a joke about it. And then the next day he touches a little girl. And it's like, okay, was it the worst possible thing? No, but what it told us is that he's not listening. He's not listening and he's not gauging his audience. And so when he puts his foot in his mouth, it's his own fault because he's been told this is what we want from you. And he's going, no, I'm going to give you what I want to give you. And it's like, that doesn't work. It just it doesn't matter how much you like Joe Biden. That strategy does not fly. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so at least I see, you know, and it's like, so I look at, I'm certainly not one of those people who say oh, it has to be a young candidate because Elizabeth Warren is going to be 70 years old. If I don't mm-hmm. know when her, she, she might be 70 now. Um, but she's got, she yeah, she's got a, um, I don't want to say a young attitude, but she's mm-hmm. got a current attitude. She understands. She evolves. Yes. She's up on things. <laughs> you know, she, she gets it. And as much as I'm no fan of Bernie, um, you know, he doesn't necessarily, at least in his ideas, that he hasn't backed up with policy plans, but at least in his ideas, he, he isn't of the old school. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there are some out there that are of the old school and they're just unwilling to let that go. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with their age. It just has to do with their line of thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, you know, in thinking about the ways that different candidates have answered questions and that means going from, you know, whether it's your comment on Mayor Pete, where he sort of took in some criticism and then evolved his answer or whether it's Biden who says, you know, essentially, like, I think one of the things that struck me was they said, would you consider yourself a progressive Democrat or a you know, a centrist Democrat. And he said, I'm an Obama Biden Democrat. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that was four years ago. (laughs) So, you know, like, what are you? Right. (laughs) Um, And, and like, that's not a good enough answer for me. Um, So I think, 
you're right about Biden. I think he sort of is like, listen, look at all of this evolving I did throughout my life. Like enough is enough. Like just love me. And people <laughs> yeah. are like, okay. Well, yeah, um, absolutely. Somebody pointed out on MSNBC last night that a lot of the young voters are not familiar with him. He got into politics when he was Congress when he was 29 years old. So they weren't around to see the good and the bad. I mean, you know, obviously there was, there, there's a bankruptcy bill that's going to come up. It's not going to look good. I'm sure Warren will bring it up. Um, mm-hmm. Kamala Harris brought up the busing thing and the segregationists. And there are a number of other things that are going to be brought up and he's going to have to figure out ways to answer them. But basically the answer is not like you said, just love me. The answer is, well, you know what? Parties evolve. And right. what was, this, what was accepted in 1990, whatever, is it's not accepted anymore. And so, you know, at that time, I took that stance because that's what was, you know, that's was the norm. And things have changed. So he doesn't even have to say he was wrong because at the time he wasn't wrong. He might have been wrong on certain things. But I mean, in the general sense, it's like, you know, he was just going with the flow. But he's not going with the flow anymore. And I think that's going to hurt him. So, um, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's like, Part of what strikes a nerve about somebody like Joe Biden is like, even if, and I mean, and this strikes a nerve for me both ways, because by the way, like I was definitely one of those people that would look at the Obama Biden memes account and cry. Yeah. (laughs) Like I, I loved them. (laughs) I know. Me too. As a parent, like I, I feel genuine like loss Mm -hmm. for, it's like that the Obama presidency is like an old boyfriend that I miss. <laughs> you know, like I, I feel sadness and, and, you know, nostalgia when mm-hmm. I think about it and in comparison to how I feel now. And I, you know, I wish I could go back to, to how I felt, you know, during those years. Um, but I think, you know, there's, a, there's a nerve on both sides for me with Joe Biden. Cause on the one hand, I'm, I'm, a, I haven't got my, you know, frustrated, irritated nerve of like, why are you saying that? Like, that's not an okay thing to say. <laughs> but also, you know, th- then there's the part of me that's like, but Joe is a genuine guy. Like, he's just not good at saying this. Yeah. And I'm like, but if that's true, like some of this shit doesn't add up. Because like, if it's just that he's just a genuine guy and like, I'm not so good with the words, which like, okay, like you've been in politics for how long? Like, maybe, like, work on it. But um, like he actually is quite good with words when he wants to be. And mm-hmm. that makes me feel like it's not genuine hmm. because like, first of all, I'm sorry is not a difficult thing to say. Mm-hmm. And secondly, like after that situation with Kamala Harris, he went in front of black voters at Jesse Jackson's, um, I think it was a rally or speech the following day. And he said this statement and it stuck out so much in my mind because of how misleading it felt. And it almost shocked me. He said, the position that was articulated as mine last night was misleading. I never supported, um, I never opposed voluntary busing programs. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, did he just say voluntary? Hmm. Because that is absolutely not what the issue was. Mm -hmm. And that is 100% a material distinction. Because we were talking about compulsory busing, Mm -hmm. not voluntary busing. Right. And for him to just slide that in there, like it, it was deliberate. 
Like, it wasn't a slip of the tongue. He'd obviously been thinking about that issue all week and still managed to look surprised and sad that Kamala was bringing it up. So I felt like there's there's been a lot more contrived about Joe Biden than I expected, and it's, like, driving me away fast. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I wrote a piece uh, a couple of months ago in March that I didn't think he was going to be the nominee. And everything that I listed, um, for the most part, I, 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 you know, he was accused of, uh, accused of plagiarism and dropped out of another presidential race because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I said that he's going to be a gaffe machine. And I brought up a couple of things, whether it was Anita Hill or, or whatever. And none of those particular things have come up. But the thing that that holds true in what I wrote was that things from the past were going to come up and he wasn't going to be able to fix it. You know what I mean? He wasn't going to be able to say, all right, well I did this and then um, I've evolved and that's exactly what's happening. He's kind of holding to it or denying it when an article, I think in the Atlantic had come out, I think after the debate where he was quoted in saying that I oppose busing and then he actually wanted to make it an amendment. And so he, he was not misrepresented. She, in my opinion, yes, she was calculated, but she was prepared Mm -hmm. So I don't want right. I don't like the word calculated as much because it implies that she had some sinister, you know, plan to bring him down. No, but she was she's a prepared woman who wants to win. And in order she's a to prosecutor, she's a she prosecutor. And you in order to win. Yeah, you got to knock down the front runner. And and she wasn't she said, I don't think you're a racist, but mm-hmm. can you answer this question? She asked him a question. And as Joy Reid pointed out. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Nicole Wallace had pointed out that they had this information. Uh, Kamala Harris had said it a week ago. So mm-hmm. his campaign team should have been expecting it. And, and it, you know, it could have had a much better answer that would mm-hmm. have made everybody happy and, and let everybody know that, yes, I, I, I get it, American people. I get it, African-American voters. You know, I understand mm-hmm. where you're coming from and here's, you know, and then and given the appropriate answer, but they didn't do that. Instead, he just denied it and then interestingly cut himself off, which I mm-hmm. thought looked kind of odd. I, I, you know, I mean, yeah. it could it, it could go for a while. He was really being polite and, 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 and respecting the time that he was given. But who does that? Everybody talks over their time. They're all like, you know, you can when they're trills trying to get their point out, you hear the, um, you know, the, the people hosting the bait talking like, OK, OK, you have to stop talking and they won't stop talking. So this is the one right. instance, the only instance of the entire debate. Did anybody back down and say, all right, my time is up. So I just thought right. that was kind of an interesting moment. And it's because he wasn't prepared. Right. And I think it's like, I'm glad that the conversation has come to this because I think this is like, I've, I've wrestled with what it is about Biden that is like really just sort of like, like irking me, you know, because I I really truly loved him as a vice president. Yeah. And even when everything started to come up about, you know, how handsy he was, and even though, you know, there was certainly a part of me that said, like, is this consistent with my is, is how I feel about this consistent with, you know, the views that I hold closely that I espouse to others? Like, is this intellectually consistent? And if it isn't, like, what is it about this person that I'm accepting, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, like, you know, he was part of a time that, that was a loss for somebody like me, maybe not for others. Um, and he felt genuine. He felt like an example of someone who 
loved a black family and respected them in the public sphere and amplified um, an amazing man and, and, you know, was a was willing to to be a wingman to somebody like Barack Obama. And and I loved that example. Mm -hmm. You know, like I felt like that in that in that moment was was Cory Booker. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he was the Cory Booker of for Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. But like. What's frustrating for me is. Joe Biden was so universally loved like two months ago. I mean, he was at like 59%, right? Yeah. And all he had to do was get in on a camera and say, listen, guys, you know me, Joe Biden, your Uncle Joe. <laughs> Look, there's some things over the course of my career that, you know, I wish I would have handled differently. And mm -hmm. looking back, I understand where I went wrong and you know in order to you know address those things I want you to know that I'm open to answering questions about why I had those positions at the time and what my positions are now and I want to be transparent about that because I want you to understand why that I understand why it's important mm -hmm. and where you know where I stand on it now and that that I'm with you if Joe Biden had said that paragraph on camera, we wouldn't have even have the debates. People would be like, it's over. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, you're so absolutely the right. The fact that he was so unwilling to do that, like, he was like, no, he wouldn't apologize on the fucking view. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, he just won't do it. And, yeah. and I'm kind of like, what is this? Yeah. Like, okay, well, fine. Like, I'm not sorry either that I'm voting for Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty you know, much. Like I, I just, I don't get it. And to me, it feels very much like respect everything I've done. Like yeah. I've earned this. I don't need to. Yeah, I just need blanket respect. Yeah. And, and you and don't get um, it. Nobody gets it. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you've been the president. I don't care if you're, if you're going to behave in a way, like you said, if he can't figure out a way to either just say either I'm sorry or to put it in, in the terms that you just put it in as far as, okay, I made these, these decisions then and I have this position on it now and let me explain. That is all we really need. It really doesn't take much. People, you know, I mean, as a salesperson, and this is what they're doing, they're all selling. They're all selling mm -hmm. themselves to the American public. So I was a salesperson for many years and what I learned was when you are very honest, when you've made a mistake, own up. Mm -hmm. Oh my yeah. God, you will, that, that client will, th there was this one guy, he was such an ogre and, um, there was a mistake made because he worked for the government and, you know, I had to give him a quote and, and that quote had to be the exact price. And for some, there was a new girl in the office and she made a mistake. And so when they were billed, it was different than the quote I had given him. And, and, and so he was freaking out and he was screaming at me on the phone so I just, I said, I'm coming by and I took all the responsibility for it. And I sat there and I listened to him scream at me for like an hour and he gave me a crick in my neck for the entire day, but I just sat there and I took it. I let him beat the shit out of me, you know, as far as just because he was this disgruntled client or whatever. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, I said, look, I'm really sorry. This was my fault. I should have been more specific with a new girl at the office and it will never happen again. I promise. And after that moment, because I took full responsibility, I was the only sales rep that he would order from 
when you know because it was industrial <laughs> yeah. chemicals and mm-hmm. so it's like the, people just want to know they don't care if you've made poor choices or, or choices that appear poor now they just want to know that you're accountable they want to know mm-hmm. that you get it. And that's really all we need. And I, I do wish that he would take on a little bit more of that attitude. Um, mm-hmm. Not not to say I was wrong and go into this whole ice failed. No, you know, I don't think he yeah, I mean, I think there's this and I think that that is a cultural issue. And I yeah. think that's why it's like ringing a bell for me. or It's like it's raising a flag for me because it's like. I'm not asking you, Joe Biden, to say, like, I'm a bad person, guys. Right. Like, I did this thing. And looking back, it was kind of racist. So, (laughs) sorry. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to look back with a genuine lens and reexamine the choices you made with the information you have now. Yeah. Which I recognize that you didn't have then. Mm Mm-hmm. And I want you just to help, like, convince me that if you had had the information you have now, then you would have made a different choice. I think that's what Kamala was asking him. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much how she was talking to him. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, if if Joe Biden had known that he was making these women uncomfortable right before as he was doing it, would he have stopped or would he have said get over it. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves this. And I I would, six months ago, I would have said, hey, of course he would have stopped. It's so Uncle Joe. It's Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the best. Now, I feel like maybe he would be like, oh, don't be stupid. Don't be silly. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Smile. You know, like, yeah. I, and I, I think it's, it's like, this is the issue that we face now, you know, circling all the way back to the beginning of our conversation of, of saying to men, like, the standards are changing. The norms of accept of what is acceptable are changing. And I I will give you room to be frustrated about that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because I know that it doesn't feel good to feel like you've you've been a bad you know, you've done a bad thing, you've been mm-hmm. a bad person, you hurt somebody. You know, like you you said something that in retrospect, like, wow, that came off really shitty. And that's not how I meant it, but that's how they took it. And so now what do I do? Mm -hmm. Right. And so the answer to that question is not like, well, I'm sorry that you are hurt. Right. Like that is the worst. And that is what we get all the time. And it's like, no, I'm not telling you that, you know, certain more severe instances aside, um, you know, I'm not telling you, that you are now like a bad person forever because I have retroactively applied my standards to you. I am asking you to accept my standards and, and retroactively apply them yourself Mm -hmm. and feel bad. (laughs) Like just feel bad. (laughs) You know what? Like looking back, that was kind of fucked up. Yeah. And I understand why my uh, actions, words, whatever, made you feel uncomfortable. Because it's like the whole idea of, well, I didn't mean to do it. Well, fine, you did it. It was still Mm -hmm. done. So that needs to be acknowledged by the person who did it. And that and that and then that person needs to say, I understand that I made you feel uncomfortable. Obviously, that was not my intention, but it was still the result. And so I'm not going to do that anymore. And I'm sorry that I made you uncomfortable. 
in this in this idea of like I didn't mean it that way is you know it's it's universally human but uniquely male <laughs> because it's all about saying like I am the center of this situation so like what I intended to do how I felt about it how I feel about it now is what is reasonable mm-hmm and you are telling me that you felt a different way. And I'm sorry that you do feel that way. But that's not the reality because that's not how I meant it. Right. And it's like, no. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> and, you know, it, that, that extends across so many issues of accountability when it comes to, you know, oppression of women. Whether it's sexual harassment in the workplace. Whether it's. Um, interactions one-on-one in interpersonal relationships or romantic relationships, uh, consent, um, you know, any behavior where you're saying like what you're doing, you know, feels threatening to me, feels, uh, you know, non-consensual, feels domineering, you know, dismissive, whatever, if the answer is like, well, I didn't mean for you to feel that way. Well, fucking great. I felt that way. Yeah. So what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you say I didn't mean to do it that way, what you really mean is I'm going to keep doing that thing because obviously I don't see how my doing so affects other people, nor do I give a shit. Yeah. And that's the whole point is I don't give a shit. I'm going to keep doing it. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's as simple as, especially when someone who's running for public office needs to understand that I didn't mean it that way is just not going to cut it anymore. Uh, We don't care if you didn't mean Mm -hmm. it. What we care about is for you to understand that what you did, what you said had a negative reaction. It made somebody feel uncomfortable or whatever. And you have to acknowledge that that happened because there's a difference of saying, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. And I'm sorry you feel that way. Mm-hmm. When you say, I'm sorry, I made you feel that way, you're acknowledging that you're, that what you said hurt or mm-hmm. whatever, what, you know, whatever negative thing happened, you're acknowledging it, it, it's not even that you're necessarily your fault because that wasn't the intention. A lot of times human beings say things to each other. We, we hurt each other and that's not the intention. But if that mm-hmm. is the result, then that should be acknowledged. And then, you know, put, put it away in your brain. So the next time you have a similar situation, you can remember back and go, oh, right, I'm not going to do that again. And mm-hmm. it's just, a, you know, a growing and learning. Um, all right. You know, before we wrap up, I want to get to the two, qu- two of the questions. And we could have had more and I'm not looking on my Twitter right now. But Bold Stag and Tony um, had two questions that are kind of similar. So I'm going to just put them together. Bold Stag said, you know, what can, can women do about the current war, world war? on women. And then Tony asked in practical terms, what can we do about the country going backwards in terms of women's rights, choices, freedoms, etc.? cetera. Um, mm-hmm. I'll let you say what you're going to say and I'll add whatever I think is necessary. <laughs> um, in practical terms? Um, yeah. Women, well, like the, the second put, question put, in practical terms in of, of authority. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that, that doesn't mean, Matriarchy. Settle down, guys. (laughs) What I mean is representation and in some cases, you know, there might be some areas of authoritative structures 
where we might benefit from overrepresentation, and that's okay. But underrepresentation is not going to work. Mm-hmm. So you know, on the reproductive rights council, might there be sixty-five percent women? Sure, I'm okay with that. Yeah, because we're talking about uteruses and ovaries and experiences that many of them have likely had as being pregnant or you know having mothers, sisters, friends, whatever who have carried pregnancies or you know, suffered complications, whatever, physically have that experience. It doesn't, it isn't to say that, you know, men can't contribute to that conversation as fathers or, you know, sons or, or, or whatever. I think they need to contribute as members of society, but like they just, you can't put personal, physical lived experience on the same plane as this affects me and it's important to me, mm-hmm. right? Like I saw my mother go through, like my mother was raped. So I know how you feel. No, you fucking don't. Right. Like you don't. So there are some areas where we are way behind because not only are we underrepresented, but we should be overrepresented because it's so important to have first person experiences in, in certain areas of the way our society is currently functioning. And I think, you know, mostly I'm talking about a lot of law enforcement, Mm -hmm. talking about education, um, and I'm talking about healthcare. Um, You know, those I think are areas where women are disproportionately affected and should be disproportionately represented among people who are making those decisions. Um, that's, I'm sure, according to some people, a radical position. So like I would settle with 50, 50, like if we can get there, Yeah. but you know, I think the number one most important thing for us to do is to put women in positions where they are able to make decisions on behalf of themselves, other women and men. Yeah. I think the next thing we have to do is get men on board. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and make know. it so that it's not some kind of a threat to their mm-hmm. existence, because I do think they feel threatened. Um, you know, I've seen that argument on on Twitter. It's like, well, we shouldn't just elect women just because. It's like, well, duh. I'm just gonna elect a woman because she has a vagina. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, no. It's weird because like you'll do all kinds of other shit for that reason, but like, <laughs> right? Care, yeah. yeah, and then there's just well, then we shouldn't elect a man just because he has a penis. It's it's mm-hmm. like you know everybody kept with the. I mean, it's calming down. I think finally the media last night. Oh my god, I watch Chris Matthews as I'm making dinner. He's not my favorite. I don't hate him. Um, but you know, he has some old school beliefs I don't always agree with. And he's like a problematic dad. He totally is. And, and, you know, I mean, he said some shit about Hillary that I didn't like last time around. And every once in a while he says something that I'm just like, Oh my God, you know, other times I totally agree with him. But, uh, I noticed last night that he was all about Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren and he was just like, oh, man. Yeah, he, Joe- was, he was on the train last night. He I totally was on the train. And he's like, Joe Biden, man. He's like, not looking good. I mean, he kind of was, he was, you know, he with the time. He was like, he was 100% the Mariah Carey, like, I don't know her. <laughs> like, he's like, I don't know who. Like, I don't know. <laughs> 
but I mean, yeah. So uh, I forgot what was my point. I don't even remember my point. Oh my God, we're talking right. so long. I, I'm losing. Well, no, it's not you. It's just that my mind is in a million different places. But oh, I think it's just bringing men on board. I think that over time, um, if I think what it winds up like, you're talking about the fact that women need to be in charge, and you're absolutely right. Of course, it, if it goes into um, our social, like our culture, whether it's pop culture, movies, songs, um, how women are portrayed. It's still not equal in Hollywood, but I think if we can get the legislative and we can get the social um, aspect of it with pop pop culture, you know, like for mm-hmm. instance, I, I, I've talked about, even though this is a terrible example because of what happened, but with the Cosby show, um, you know, now we understand who he is. But at the time when he was like America's favorite dad, uh, mm-hmm. he, the, the Cosby show did an a fantastic job and it's not to say that the civil rights movement didn't have anything to do with it because the civil rights movement was more important than any television show but television shows mirror society and Mm -hmm. when we're seeing a you know a successful black family the woman is a lawyer and the father is a doctor and they live in this beautiful new york home um we just become used to it and we accept it as normal Instead of thinking it's different or odd or weird, you know, I mean, we had in the 70s, we were watching um, Good Times where they lived in Mm -hmm. the projects. And so although that was a fantastic show, um, it was great to see shows like, uh, you know, whether it was a different world or the Cosby show, because it portrayed African-Americans as just being regular people who have money. And it it wasn't anything weird. So it's a combination of, you know, like I said, legislative of of civil right actions and then um, how our pop culture is, you know, what comes through in our pop culture and what comes through in movies. I mean, I remember the movie. I was a little girl at the time, but Animal House came out and there was the scene where there was a passed out drunk girl. And the guy was debating whether or not he should rape her. And Mm -hmm. it was considered funny because he had the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. And, oh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Ha ha ha. It's so funny. No, it's not funny. It's not funny that this man is sitting here considering raping a woman who's lost consciousness. So, um, you know, okay, well, we need to evolve past these kinds of things. I think we have. But, you know, even Mm -hmm. in the movie, The Breakfast... Well, maybe. A little bit. The Breakfast Club, uh, Molly Ringwald said that, you know, she was kind of cringing when she was watching it with her daughter because Judd Nelson had stuck his face in between her legs when he was hiding under the desk and she had to explain Mm -hmm. that to her five-year-old daughter. And so it's like, uh, do I look at that movie and say, oh my God, I'm never going to watch it again? No. That That was accepted norms at the time. So it's basically just about changing what the norms are. And I don't know, you know, I mean, how can women fight it? I would say take a cue from the women candidates on the debate stage. Look at how they just claimed their power. They absolutely refused to let the man walk all over them or the men. And they ha- they made sure to get their say. So I think that's really it, too. The There is a responsibility women have to speak up even when we're uncomfortable, just as the men have the responsibility to speak up when they see something, whether, you know, like I said, it's a rape joke or whatever to speak up about it. Women have to feel comfortable. And that's the hard part because we right. can, we can get punished for it. You know, there's, oh, there, there's a price yeah. to pay. Yes. I, I would say, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever read fight like a girl by Clementine Ford. No, I have not. It's one of my favorite individuals on the planet. Hi, Clementine. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> it's a fantastic book. I recommend it to anyone, but, um, you know, she talks a lot about that, that type of conditioning of, you know, as a woman, you are taught like to be small, Mm -hmm. to be made soft and quiet. 
and that as a man you are taught you can be anything you want Mm -hmm. for the most part like you can choose your own destiny you can make yourself into a person and as long as that person finds success whatever type of person you are is perfectly fine Mm -hmm. um you know with, with with some probably like stereotypical cultural limitations but um i think the idea is someone like Kamala Harris or or Elizabeth Warren are unapologetically being big, right? Like taking up space with their voices and their bodies, Mm -hmm. you know, standing up straight, not cowering. You know, I thought it was funny that Liz is like considerably shorter than both men that flanked her at the debates, but she like, she sort of does that where she stands like with her chin way up, Mm -hmm. you know, like she's, she's like the fearless girl, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. A statue. And, um, I, you know, I find her just encouraging to look at mm-hmm. when she does that because she, it's like she swells into all the space that's available to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is part of what we can do uh, because, you know, feminism is about ending the oppression of women. But that doesn't just mean that men need to stop being shitty. They totally do. But <laughs> women need to take steps to, to put ourselves, you know, into those, those shoes, those bigger shoes Mm -hmm. to say like, no, I'm not going to let you talk over me. Should we have to do that? No. Is it unfair? Yes. Do you want it to get better Then fucking do it? Right. That's, that's Um, what it boils down to. You know, otherwise it's just going to devolve into this exercise of us saying, stop doing that, stop doing that. And then they're like, stop yelling at us. And mm-hmm. like, it, it's just, it's like, just, you know, to take whatever strength that you have available to you and, and know that you won't be criticized for whatever extent that is, so long as it's whatever you can give at that moment mm-hmm. and, and put it forth, you know, like stop worrying about whether you are conforming to what will make you likable to men or, you know, within a certain stereotype of, of what a quote unquote successful woman looks like, who is like one who speaks like in short spurts and like smiles widely. Um, Like, you know, put yourself in to whatever a successful woman looks like to you. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to yell if that's not your style. Like Kamala's not really a yeller. No, she isn't. You know, and that's like Warren kind of a yeller, mm-hmm. but I'm cool with it. Like I like it. She's passionate. She likes that she gets worked up. Yeah. Both they're, they're two different styles, but both of them are just using like what what appeals to them mm-hmm. as their Yeah, their what strength. makes them comfortable. Right. And so, you know, they get criticized for different reasons because of course that's sort of the comedy of it all, right? Is like Kamala is, is serious, but, you know, toned. And Warren is serious, but excitable. And each will get criticized for the opposite. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's where Cory Booker and, uh, you know, Castro come in is, hey, stop doing that. Yeah. Right. So it's like. There's little steps all along the way where different people need to participate in different ways. Um, And, you know, so step one, stop enabling it. Step two, do your part. Um, Step three, like, live a happy life. 
Yeah. Well, that that sounds like a good way to end the show. Live a happy life and don't go to DC tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry if anyone, please. Oh, I know. I, I, uh, it's been, we've, we've been chatting for some time and I, I'm so glad, like I said, that you are able to make it. I love talking to you. I love hearing your perspective in person. I like seeing it on Twitter. I know I'm going to ask you back on again. Um, and you have such a unique, well, it's not so much unique per se, but you do have a, your perspective is not so much unique, but your, um, ability to, you know, talk to people in a way that, of course you're going to get criticism. Of course you're going to get trolls and stuff like that. But I mean, as far as the average person on Twitter, who's, who's not ridiculous, who's listening to you, you, you have a way of reaching out to them to, ex, you know, and you explain things in a way that maybe other feminists like me struggle with. And, um, I mean, I think I do an okay job and, and they're, I think you do a great job. Well, thank you. I mean, obviously we all have our strengths and, and, and I, and I look to people like you, there's, there's a bunch of people that I look to. Um, I love Jessica Valente. I love Rebecca Traster, mm-hmm. um, Clementine Ford. Yes. I haven't read her book, but yes, uh, there are, there are so many, um, women out there who are smart and succinct and positive and they know how to be funny. That's really important to be funny with a message because, you know, if you're, you know, I, sometimes I worry that I'm just like looking angry all the time because I am angry, but I try uh-huh. to at least incorporate some humor to say that, you know, Hey, look, we can, we can kind of have fun with this, you know, right. while we're learning doesn't always have to just be scoldy, scoldy, but you, you know, you don't, you're not a scoldy person. You're just like freaking matter of fact. And you're, you're very, um, I don't know. You're just very measured and smart about it. So I appreciate your voice. I appreciate you coming on the show and thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, cool. Um, all right. Before we go, uh, I always like to remind everybody. Well, t- what is your um, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at Emraz at E M R A Z Z and the Feminist Next Door. Yes, and then I'm at Author Kimberly, and that's K I M B E R L E Y. And then my partner Steph, who's not here today, hers is the lady it's at the lady brain show and we always want to hear your comments whether you agree or not if you think we're totally wrong we still want to hear them so we would really appreciate uh you commenting and and becoming a patron all right so that's it for today no end another thing we'll we'll be back next week with steph and uh thank you once again uh em and we will talk to you soon great okay bye-bye